Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And before we get to Suns Talk and the latest Marvel show for this episode, we need to take a minute and touch on something more important. Because as much as I want this to be a positive, happy show, and as much as I'm blessed to sit here and talk about NBA basketball and movies and TV shows and actually have people that want to listen to me talk about these things, uh, there are moments in life that supersede those kind of more trivial things and, and put life in perspective. Now, as many of you are aware, earlier this week, a white terrorist murdered eight people, six of them being Asian women, uh, at three Asian-owned businesses in Atlanta. It was a hate crime. It was mostly, it was racially motivated. And many of our Asian brothers and sisters were triggered by this event. And as if that act of violence wasn't sickening enough, it was made worse when the white police chief was asked about the murderer's motivations and described him as, you know, being at the end of his rope and having a bad day. So this is why he did what he did. And the killer himself said that he was trying to rid himself of sex addiction by removing temptation, which is inherently racist because he felt the way to do that, to remove sexual temptation was murdering Asian women at Asian owned massage parlors. So this, this has been weighing on my mind all week, and I cannot imagine how my AAPI friends are suffering right now, how hard it must be to focus at work, how difficult it must be to see this terrifying spike in anti-Asian hate crimes. Um, and this has been going on since the start of the pandemic, this, this recent spike, and it's still not getting the attention that it deserves for this problem, this strain of xenophobia that's been present for decades. Um, and just how triggering it must be for the fetishization of Asian women, for you know the weight of the model minority myth, um, and just for the silence of how many people are seeing these things happen and are continuing to just be silent and, and how all of this continues to show up in these devastating ways. Um, I'm not Asian, but you don't need to be Asian for this to bother you, and you certainly don't need to be Asian to help. So today, before we start our show, I'm asking anyone listening to this podcast to commit to being an ally in this ongoing fight against white supremacy, whether that's by raising awareness, educating yourself on the history of oppression that Asian Americans have struggled with, or whether it's donating your time, your money, your resources, each and every one of you listening to this can make an impact. And it, it can be something as simple as having a discussion with your family or friends about what happened in Atlanta. It can be amplifying AAPI voices on your social media accounts, just sitting back and amplifying those voices to try and empathize with what they're feeling right now and understand how deep rooted this issue is. It can be just researching things like the Chinese Exclusion Act and Executive Order 9066 and other historical events and court cases that have shaped oppression in this country for years, for decades. 
Um, it could be signing up for that newsletter or that call to action or calling your local representative to ask what they're doing to combat this wave of anti-Asian hate. Um, and if you're not sure where to go to find this information or, or look up information on these events that I'm talking about or where you can donate your time and your money, um, I'm including links to articles that have helped me this week and organizations that are fighting this fight right now. Um, I'm going to link them all in the podcast description for this episode. Um, I found them all really helpful this week as far as informing myself and what I can do to help and hopefully they will help you too. And in that same vein, I'll be matching donations to the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, Asians Advancing Justice, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, and or they can't burn us all. Um, and I'm gonna be matching, matching those donations up to $200 this week. All of these organizations will also be linked in the podcast description on Apple, on YouTube, um, and I'll include them in my link tree as well when I share this episode on social media so anybody can easily access them, uh, sign up, donate, read up on these things that I'm talking about. Uh, just send me a screenshot of your receipt for the donation um, to any one of these organizations, either on Twitter or you can email me at gerald.borgay at fansided.com. And like I said, I'll be matching up to $200 in donations so that's up to $400 in possible donations that we can raise together. And I don't want to cap it there either. So if we get to 500 total donations, so that's 200 from me, 300 from you, lovely people, I will take a quadruple shot of Jack Daniels and I will release the video for all of you to see so you can see another side of uh, this normally proper <laughs> and properly um, behaved Sun's reporter that you follow on Twitter. Um, and if we somehow get to $1,000 in donations, so that's 200 from me, 800 from you guys, I will do two quad shots in one day, which I have never done before, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but I'm sure it would be pretty entertaining or gross to watch. Um, so you have extra incentive. And I know that times have been tough for a lot of people financially right now, but anything that you can spare helps whether it's $5, $10, $25, whatever you can spare helps. And if you aren't in a place right now where you can donate money, just please consider participating in some of these other steps that I've mentioned, you know, raising awareness, educating yourself, educating those around you about an issue that has gone overlooked in this country for way too long. Um, you know, no matter how big your following is or how small your bubble might be, we can each we can all affect change in our own bubbles. Um, so I encourage you to be that person stating the obvious on your social media account that this is wrong and that we need to fight this. You know, make it awkward by calling out that person that makes the off-color joke um, instead of just laughing along with it to avoid conflict and, and make it easy on everyone in the, in the room. You know, make it awkward. Call that person out, especially if it's a friend or a family member. Um, and don't be afraid to be an ally just because, you know, people don't want to talk about politics or because other people are already posting about it. So you figure, well, they've got it covered. You know, everybody already knows that racism is bad. We need everybody to be saying this right now. Um, and I know that we've all been overwhelmed by racial and social issues over the last year. And, and these kind of tragedies piling up on top of each other can be really disheartening. So and, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, you know, $200 worth of donations or this call to action on a show with like 100 followers 
is suddenly going to solve racial inequality overnight. But what we can do right now, especially white people who need to show up for people of color, if we're ever going to get closer to equality, is to try to educate ourselves, to raise awareness, and to affect change in our own little bubbles. Because if everybody did that, I honestly believe that the world would be a much better place. So check out those links, make those donations, send me those screenshots, and let's try and do some good this week. Uh, and with that, we'll turn our attention to some Suns talk with our quote of the week. Um, earlier this week, the Suns bounced back from a really ugly loss to the Indiana Pacers. I said it after the game that that was one of the few times where I felt like the Suns were just kind of dominated from start to finish and didn't show up, especially since, you know, they, they had sort of found their groove with Devin Booker coming back from that hamstring injury at the start of February. They had been in, on a roll. That was one of the first games where it just kind of looked like they were outmatched and outplayed from start to finish. Um, but they bounced back with a very big double-digit win over the Memphis Grizzlies, who are not a great team, but they're a much better version of the team than the Suns had seen previously when they blew them out. Um, they had a couple more guys healthy, and the Suns still blew them out anyway. So it was a good way to bounce back from that kind of loss. And that's something that we've seen from the Suns multiple times this season. I think they've only lost back-to-back -back games once, maybe twice this season. So they're very good at bouncing back from losses. And Monty had said, you know, heading into that game against Memphis that he was looking forward to the Suns' response because of the way that they – act after a loss the way that he said that there's like a tenseness in the gym and in their meetings um and, and i kind of want to play the full quote from chris paul here uh who is our quote of the week once again he's he's getting good at nabbing these quote of the week spots um because monty kind of set up this idea that the Suns are poor losers that when they lose their it doesn't sit well with them it eats away at them you know, Monty says food doesn't taste as good. The drive home isn't as pleasant. Um, and that these losses just kind of eat away at them because these guys are all competitors and they hate losing maybe more than they like winning. Um, but Chris Paul had an interesting thing to say uh, when we asked him about that very philosophy that seems to be present on this team. I always say that, man. You show me somebody fine with losing and I'll show you a loser. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, we just got a team of them guys. You know, that's why our practices are competitive. I say all the time, that's one of the main reasons why I, I definitely wanted to come play with Book. You know, I know Jay Crowder. You know what I mean? These guys, like, you compete no matter what it is. And, and that's how it should be. So I love that part about, you know, show me someone who's okay with losing and I'll show you a loser. Um, it's, it's kind of the epitome of the culture change that we've seen in Phoenix since he arrived. And to be fair, it was already in motion before he arrived, but he kind of helped usher in this change. And it's great to see because, you know, we've had to sit and watch Devin Booker lose so much throughout the first four or five years of his career. And you know that that was just eating away at him the whole time, because this is a guy that sees himself as an elite competitor, as a winner, as someone who belongs in the playoffs on the big stage. And every time he's gotten anything close to a big stage, he's thrived, but he hasn't had any help. Now he has help. We're seeing the results of that with a team that until uh, Thursday night's loss was second in the West. And it, it's great to see that 
Chris Paul recognizes in guys like Devin Booker and Jay Crowder, that same mentality of like, we're not losing. I hate losing. We're going to bounce back from every loss in a big way. We're going to respond. We're going to learn from it. And we've seen that a lot this season. Now that kind of segues into our, uh, our most recent game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, which was, I think David Nash said it best on Twitter. It was a silly loss. It, it wasn't like some horrific loss that should have anyone worried about this team's prospects. It was just one of those games that the Suns dropped. And, the, and they are guilty of playing down to their competition a lot. Um, we've seen it multiple times. And there's an interesting stat that I'll bring up here in a minute to prove that. But I, I don't think it was just a bad effort. You know, they were they they were in a good groove early on against a very bad defense. And I think they tried to do a little too much. And Langston Galloway alluded to this after the game, but they tried to do a little too much, tried to get a little too fancy with their passes, make the home run play instead of just making the smart read. And the Timberwolves made them pay for it. They got a lot of turnovers. The Suns had, I think, 22 turnovers on the night and 10 of them came in the first quarter. Um, You know, they sent them to the line 35 times. They just, and they gave up. Uh, I think Anthony Edwards had a career high 43 and Carl Anthony Towns had, you know, 41, 40. So they gave up 83 points between two guys, dual 40 point games. And that's something that a top 10 defense just doesn't typically do, especially when one of those players, no offense to Anthony Edwards is a rookie. Um, You know, that's not great. And there were a lot of things to take from this game. Obviously there was the fouling and the free throws. The officiating was a little suspect as well. Um, The turnovers, I think 22 turnovers led to 23 points for the Timberwolves. That's a huge swing right there. Um, Also Deandre Ayton was giving cat way too much space with that three point shot. And he got comfortable in the fourth quarter and kind of caught fire. And that changed the whole complexion of that, that final period. The Suns were up, I think double digits with like 10 minutes to go in the fourth, somewhere around there. Um, and they couldn't pull it out because Cat caught fire and DA, this was not his finest night. He fouled, not only did he foul out, but, um, you know, Towns was going to work on him. He, he just was. Um, and that's not one of those things where we're blaming this loss on DeAndre Ayton. We are pointing out multiple problems here because there were a lot of them <laughs> on Thursday night. Um, but how this relates to our quote of the week is I'm very interested to see how the Suns respond Friday night. Uh, tonight, I guess, by the time you're hearing this podcast against the same Timberwolves team that just beat them. Um, And this was a team that had nine wins coming into the season. So I think anything less than a blowout is going to be pretty disappointing, even on the second night of a back-to-back, because, you know, both of these teams are on the second night of a back-to-back. One of these teams has a chance to compete in the West, and one of these teams has a chance to compete for the number one seed in the NBA draft lottery. So pretty big disparity there. Obviously, Cat presents a problem, and he is good enough to beat you, as we saw Thursday night, and so is Anthony Edwards, apparently. Um, But you know what? This is a game that if the Suns come out and play the way they should have tonight, tomorrow night, you know, obviously you would have liked better than a 1-1 split against the nine-win Minnesota Timberwolves, but you will take what you can get. The Suns have lost two of their last three. They need this win to kind of bounce back and prove that they really do hate losing as much as they continue to say they do um, and, and make up some ground because by losing on Thursday night, they missed out on an opportunity to pull within 2.5 games 
or I'm sorry, within 1.5 games of the Jazz for the number one seed, and they actually fell to the three seed in the West, the Lakers are now half a game up on them in the standings. So need to bounce back with a good win, a kind of statement win to show that, you know, Thursday night's loss was a silly loss, but it's not one that you need to be concerned about for the long term. Um, and, and the stat that I alluded to, which is interesting because people always freak out when the Suns lose to a bad team. And, and I will admit that it's, that it's not a good thing to lose to teams that are very bad, like the Timberwolves, like we've seen them do with the Washington Wizards early in the season, the Detroit Pistons. Like they've lost to some pretty bad teams this year. They have some pretty bad losses. Um, the good news is by the time they get to the playoffs, that element will be eliminated because they won't have to worry about playing bad teams. So for a team that plays to its competition, maybe that's a blessing in disguise come playoff time. Um, If you look at the Suns breakdown of their record, they are actually 13 and five against teams that are at or above 500. And they are 13 and eight against teams below 500. (laughs) So that's, uh, it's kind of crazy actually that they're so good. They've only, only five of their losses are against teams at or above 500 and the other eight are against crappy teams mostly (laughs) so uh kind of interesting split there but you know come playoff time if they really do play to the level of their competition that can only be a good thing especially for a team that on paper looks pretty close to elite in almost every category um the last sun's topic for today we were going to do some trade stuff but actually james jones kind of struck first and filled that final roster spot and made a trade. Uh, It was a minor one, not a big move like people were expecting. There were no big names. Um, And PJ Tucker, unfortunately, one of the trade candidates we discussed either last episode or the episode before is off the table. He's going to the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's a really good get for them. But uh, the Suns made a move for Torrey Craig, also from the Bucks. And this is kind of an understated, very smart depth move. Um, and I think we should note Suns fans that we've officially made it under James Jones because the Suns are no longer shipping out rotation players for cash considerations. They're doing the exact opposite. They're sending out cash for rotation players. This is, this is a complete reversal of the Robert Sarver story. We've come full circle. We're, we're going in the right direction. Um, but coming to Phoenix is Tory Craig, who. Uh, He hasn't played in Milwaukee much this season for whatever reason. Mike Budenholzer just didn't trust him, didn't use him in his rotation. Now he's on the Suns. Uh, For those unfamiliar, he's 30 years old. He's got a huge wingspan. He's a 6'7 wing. Um, And he's a great, strong defender who can guard multiple positions. And he gives the Suns another guy to throw at the big wings out west, like LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George. Um, You know, not for a full game because he's a little offensively limited, but if you need a stop, he's a good guy to have on the floor who can make winning plays in big games. Um, you know, you wouldn't know that based on his averages because he is only averaging 2.5 points and 2.4 rebounds in 11.2 minutes per game this season. He's only played in 18 games for the Bucks. Um, but that's more about Budenholzer and, and kind of the lack of playing time than, that he's received more than anything else. So don't read into those numbers too much. Um, he's not a great three point shooter. He's only at 32% for his career. Um, he has made 36% of his threes, but bear in mind, that's only come on 22 total attempts. So it's a very small sample size. If he keeps that up, fantastic. He can be a great contributor. I don't think he will for a full season, especially if he gets minutes. Um, you know, as, as the volume goes up, 
that sample size is probably going to revert back to what we've seen for most of his career. But, you know, there is some hope there. Um, and this is honestly about as good as the Suns could have hoped for with that last open roster spot. Um, because even if it's not a third string big that can spell DeAndre Ayton or Dario Saric on nights like Thursday when they're just outmatched by a bigger, stronger guy like Cat, um, the Suns now have a really strong wing rotation. And this is something that Monty Williams alluded to when we asked him about the addition of Torrey Craig, um, is that they now have a lot of wings that can guard multiple positions that can switch and that can do a lot of different things. Um, you know, they've got Mikael Bridges, they've got Jay Crowder, they've got Cam Johnson, they've got Abdul Nader, they've got Torrey Craig now. Um, and that's before you even get to Chris Paul campaign and Javon Carter, all being capable of making guards lives hell in the backcourt. Um, those three can wreak havoc back there. And then you've got these swarming wings with these massive wingspans that's a lot of length. That's a lot of defensive IQ to contend with. So, I mean, that's pretty damn solid. Like if the Suns need a stop late to close out a game, like good luck scoring on any one of the lineups that Monty can trot out there. And obviously we still have some concern with DeAndre Ayton and we saw that against Cat on Thursday, but there's a lot of versatility here, a lot of depth here. And I'm interested to see how Torrey Craig fits in and whether he gets an actual crack at the rotation or whether he's just kind of a, uh, you know, a fail safe break in case of emergency type guy. Um, you know, he, he made winning plays with the Denver Nuggets last year in their run to the Western Conference Finals. Um, you know, fans might actually remember there was a game against the Nuggets that the Suns had where he blocked, he came over from the weak side and blocked a Devin Booker potential game-winning shot in the lane. And uh, he, he's just, he has a knack for making those winning plays, especially on the defensive end late in games. Um, you know, he only averaged like 5.4 points and 3.3 rebounds for the Nuggets in like 18 and a half minutes per game. Um, but he shot 46% from the field and he was a very reliable defender. So he bolsters that wing rotation, which has not quite been the same lately, especially with Cam Johnson out. Um, they've really kind of missed him on, you know, coming off the bench the way that he has and playing to, at a high level off that bench. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what Craig winds up being on this team, um, especially when you look at the West and some of these potential playoff matchups. There are a lot of good wings that will need defending. So we'll see what happens with Torrey Craig. But overall, got to give this this very easy pickup a good grade because you know, all they had to give up was cash and probably like a lightly protected second round pick in the distant future that'll never convey. convey. So um, good work by James Jones again to fill that final roster spot, even if it's not uh, the big that a lot of people were probably searching for. But that's going to do it for Suns Talk on this episode. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. All right, so to wrap up our show for today, we are we're recording this at about 1.30 a.m., uh, I guess Friday morning technically, because I stayed up so that I could watch the premiere of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is Disney Plus's newest Marvel show. Um, they gave us a week off between the end of WandaVision and the start of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I probably could have gone without that week personally, but it's all good because we are back. We've got Marvel in our lives again. And honestly, I'm kind of loving Marvel's approach. Obviously, this show 
is a little more cut and dry. It, it's, it follows more of the basic Marvel formula as far as, you know, these are superheroes, they're going to get in fights and we're going to, you know, show you their personality a little bit along the way with some humor. It, it's more traditional Marvel fare than WandaVision, which was a very different and unique take on that whole superhero genre. Um, but this was still a strong premiere for me, I thought. And, and I like that Marvel is doing these shows that flesh out a lot of these lesser known characters that people might not have cared about as much. I think a lot of people liked Bucky, the Winter Soldier, because Captain America Winter Soldier is one of the best Marvel movies still. Um, and, and he's got an interesting story, but I, I don't know many people that really, you know, were too into Falcon as more than like comic relief. Um, he was just kind of the guy with wings who got, you know, picked apart by Ant-Man in that one movie. <laughs> I think it was Civil War. Um, but, you know, and Wanda and, and Vision, too, they were just kind of sideline characters. Like, they were superheroes. They were cool. They probably had their throngs of fans. But, like, no one was really picking them out of the lineup as, like, that's my favorite superhero. Um, so it is cool that we're getting these series as kind of, like, supplements to fill in these backstories for these characters retroactively um touch on where they're at in the events of you know infinity war after the events of infinity war and Endgame, uh, how those things affected them in their own unique ways and um get us to care more about these characters because after you make a movie like infinity war and Endgame, where the stakes are unbelievably high half of all life disappears and then half of all life comes back you've got the ultimate bad guy in thanos even with the break like the one year break from the pandemic between marvel projects it's going to get hard to top those kind of stakes so what you need to do is reroute it and reground the story in your characters and make people care about you know these characters that are never going to really be as uh, prominent as like an iron man or a captain america these heroes that are getting phased out so I really do like the way that they're going about this and diving into Sam and his relationship with his sister and trying to save their boat. And then Bucky, who's going through therapy and, you know, trying to date this cute waitress, but he also has guilt over the fact that this uh, nice little Japanese man that he's befriended, he may, we're guessing, killed, may have killed his son in the past when he was under Hydra's mind control. So there's a lot of uh, different storylines that are being balanced already. Um, and, and it's, I think it's interesting that they don't just jump right into Sam Wilson Falcon being the next Captain America. Like it could have been easy to do that and just have him fighting a bunch of bad guys with his wings and with the shield, but a whole, a big point in the series, I think is going to be him earning that shield and feeling like he's actually earned it. Um, because at the very beginning, he decides, you know, as we remember from Endgame, he says, when Captain America offers him the mantle and gives him the shield, he asks him how it feels. And he says, it feels like it belongs to somebody else. And he echoes that here again by giving it up um, and basically putting it in a glass case and, and letting that shield be retired because Captain America is no longer with us. Um, and of course, because, you know, propaganda and we need to have a Captain America the government basically 
assigns the shield and gives the mantle to some other random white dude who we're probably going to learn more about, but he did not look like a good dude <laughs> just based on the one cameo. I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter calling him, uh, you know, commenting on how ugly he was. I, I thought that was kind of messed up. <laughs> I guess when you go from Chris Evans to that guy, I, I get it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because you're watching him watch this announcement be unveiled that there's a new captain america and it's not him and it's not him because he gave up the shield and it's this ugly white dude <laughs> which you know typical but uh i'm very interested to see where this show goes i think there are only six episodes i think it's a shorter run than wandavision maybe i'm wrong on that but uh, a lot of action in the opening you know five ten minutes and it was really well coordinated so i am excited because Falcon was never someone that his action scenes in the movies really intrigued me all that much, but just the opening 20 minutes of this show were really uh, good and well, well choreographed. So I am interested to see where it goes from here. And, and Bucky just always kicks ass with that metal arm of his. So it'll be exciting to see him kind of bust that out again. We, we saw a very brief clip of it with a flashback that he had a nightmare that he had Um but yeah, this is going to be an interesting show. I don't think it's going to break the mold in terms of characterization or plot points or anything like that. But it is kind of the next step in Marvel's natural evolution, these supplemental stories that they're giving us to make what we see in the movies more impactful and more meaningful and help us relate to some of the characters that in the movies haven't always gotten their, their just screen time or, or their due. So um, really enjoyed the first episode. Hopefully it continues to improve the quality and we get a lot more great action scenes and, and uh, you know, maybe some quality characterization along the way too. But uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast next week, or I'm sorry, next episode, we're actually going to double down on our superhero talk and uh, take a look at the Snyder cut, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, which is four hours long. I don't know when I'm going to have time to watch that this weekend with Suns games and March Madness, but we'll figure it out. Um, so we're going <laughs> to dabble in the Snyder cut. Hopefully it doesn't suck. I've heard good things, but you just never know with these DC movies now. But uh, thank you everyone for listening again. Please make those donations and send me those screenshots. Uh, I would love it if we hit even $400, but if we get to 500, you can see me do a quad shot. And I think that is, uh, you know, if you want to watch someone that you've, <laughs> you know, followed along for Suns coverage, do something completely stupid. That's just extra incentive to, you know, being an ally and being there for people that need your support right now. Um, but again, that's going to do it for this episode of the Valley of Suns podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. This is Gerald Borgay signing off.